Foxes and Vowel is a movement committed to exploring and responding to the unexpected ways that God is moving and speaking in and around us. This podcast is part of that. We want to have conversations that matter with folks in all kinds of walks of life because we believe that the God of the Bible so often shows up in surprising and everyday kinds of ways. We want to pay attention and talk about that and just maybe be changed by it all. Thanks for joining the conversation. Hey, I'm Aaron. Welcome to the Foxes and Fowl podcast. My guest today is Rachel Renison. Rachel is a student in archaeology and social anthropology at the University of Edinburgh. I met her while she was studying for a year at the University of British Columbia. Over the summer, her initial plans for her undergraduate dissertation work were disrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic. So she pivoted and worked with my congregation, University Hill in Vancouver, to explore the idea of sacred space in a suddenly virtual world. She recently finished that work, and I was delighted to have a chance to talk to her about it. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Rachel Renison, welcome to the Foxes and Fowl podcast. It's great to see you. How are you Hi. today? I'm good. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's this great to be fun. here. This is my first international interview, so I'm, I'm pretty excited <laughs> uh, to be doing this <laughs> yeah. across so, so much distance. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's great to see you again. Yeah. I wanted to, to begin right off, uh, you know, you are in a, on a different continent, but I met you on this continent and, and through it all, you've, you've, you've had an, a COVID experience um, that's yeah, in different places. And I, I was just, I've interviewed some professors who have some thoughts about how this time has been, but I haven't had a chance to talk to too many students directly about how it's been. So I'm wondering what your COVID experience has been and maybe, you know, if there, what, what are you seeing and hearing in your, in your colleagues and your fellow students? Uh, yeah. How, how has it been for you this, this term? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't think it's, it's uh, uh, a secret that it's been quite difficult, <laughs> uh, I must say. Uh, and as a student, um, I think because obviously this all started when I was still abroad at UBC. Uh, so it is kind of, as you're saying, it's, it's quite interesting to kind of see like how things changed. So when I was still at UBC and everybody really like quickly and suddenly had to do everything online and then kind of seeing how people are like professors and lecturers just learned over time how to better adjust to like an online uh, to online teaching methods. Um, So yeah, just, um, I mean, something with like uh, the restrictions for like, it was so different going between countries. So like even the restrictions like going from uh, from Canada to my parents in Oslo and then to the university in Edinburgh. Um, like in Canada, it was like, keep two meters apart. You know, the airport was completely empty. Um, and then the closer I got to Europe, the like shorter that distance became. So it was like one and a half meters and then it was one meter apart and nobody was wearing masks. Uh, so it was really strange. Uh, and then again, in the UK, the restrictions kind of were amped up. Uh, so I haven't had any uh, live classes. I've only had online classes, uh, which is quite challenging. Um, and I think as well, one of the challenging things that I experienced in Edinburgh or like that me and my friends were talking a lot about was kind of how uh, students were kind of in quite a like particular situation because, you know, many of them were very far away from their families. And uh, mm. and like for me, you know, my family is in 
like they're all in different countries. Um, so then uh, students got a lot of blame for uh, bringing, you know, increased COVID infections and stuff. And obviously it's not smart to, to go to parties, but you know, it's also not easy to try to stick to the rules that families are sticking to. Mm. Um, yeah. So there's that kind of, you know, socializing kind of works differently. Um, like for example, one rule would, you know, if you go to supermarkets in the UK, you're supposed to go only one person from each household. Uh, but I mean, I'm not going to buy all my <laughs> flatmates groceries for them. <laughs> so, you know, we were all in there together and we got yelled at um, and we we're like, but we can't, you know, so those are all kind of like um, a very specific social kind of mm. uh, place that students are in. Yeah, so much of the educational experience is interactive, right? Uh, you know, whether it's with classmates or, or interacting in the classroom with your professors and teachers and, and yeah. Yeah, I can only imagine how what a challenge it's been to try and do that with such separation. I'm glad yeah. you had roommates. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And I think honestly, that was my saving grace was just kind of completely out of the blue landing with uh, flatmates who were, you know, very social and, you know, wanted to make food together in the evenings. But uh, yeah, it was a big challenge. I think one of the biggest challenges with kind of the online classes was uh, when nobody like turn their cameras on uh, mm. and you didn't know who was in the room. You didn't know who you were talking to. Uh, you didn't know if people were listening to you when you were speaking um, and just not being able to see anybody. Uh, and then of course it's really awkward when like, I mean, I want to turn my camera on when I'm speaking uh, to a professor, for example, cause I mean, you know, they always have their cameras on but since nobody else does it's this kind of like moment of anxiety where you're like, oh, I don't want to if nobody else is. So these kind of cultures kind of pop up in different, um, in, in, in different lecture, like rooms, quote unquote. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. And I guess we're all kind of figuring out what, what the appropriate uh, cultural cues are yeah. uh, when we can't respond to each other in person. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you've, you, you seem to have navigated it reasonably well. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I think I was so busy kind of with my dissertation, which was always supposed to be more or less uh, something that you did like on your own. I mean, with support and help, of course, but like, mm -hmm. I think it was so focused, like it, it, it's a nice time to have a big project to work on uh, that you can kind of cha channel your energies into. Um, because honestly, I, I did find it a lot harder um, to kind of absorb what professors were saying. Like, even when I was discussing things with other students in, in the classes that I had, it was just, it was just that much harder to, to just absorb it and feel like I'd actually learned something. Uh, mm. And that was quite frustrating experience. Mm. Um, yeah, frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna talk about your dissertation in a bit. I, I'm looking forward to that. I've had the chance to read it. It's really interesting. Um, but I wanted to begin maybe with, a, a sort of more broad question. You are a student of archaeology and social anthropology at the University of Edinburgh. Yep. And uh, I, I'm sort of curious what drew you to that particular field of study. Uh, that's a very good question. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I remember. Um, or actually, I, I do remember, but it, it wasn't like, I don't think there was anything distinct about it that I was like, oh, I want to study at Edinburgh or, oh, I want to study 
archaeology and social anthropology, I was just kind of um, like I got good grades in history in high school. Mm. So I was kind of like, oh, well, I should do something with history. And I was like, archaeology is a little bit different. So I was looking primarily at archaeology programs um, in the UK, uh, also at UB uh, UBC as well. Um, but yeah, then they had uh, kind of the description of social anthropology. And I was like, mm. oh, wow, that sounds really cool. Um, and then I just kind of ended up applying and accepting it. And then uh, <laughs> I'm really, really happy that I did because uh, it's been such like a, especially studying uh, anthropology has been such like a life-changing um, kind of field of study, hmm. I think. Uh, I think it's just like, it's it's fun because it's, I think it's a place to break the rules um, because you get to take people seriously when they talk about things that academia or science usually discard and mm. that you've kind of been taught to discard uh, in high school and middle school and elementary school. And now suddenly you're like, oh, actually, like, I'm not the expert. Uh, the people who I'm talking with are the experts. Uh, and I just, I, I love that both kind of the rule breaking element of it and kind of all of the, like the vast diversity of like new knowledge and new perspectives. It's, it seems like an infinite amount of, of uh, new perspectives on mm. like a million different things that, that you can, uh, that you can, you know, talk about and, and learn from uh, and really, really kind of change things with. <laughs> mm. That's great. I love, I love that idea rule breaking by taking people seriously <laughs> it's been Imagine. Fun. yeah that's marvelous yeah, yeah i mean I, I as i was reading your dissertation I, I i could tell that there was this kind of impulse to do it not quite as rigidly as one might expect um and, and that, that kind of leads me to this question i have for you because i know one of the things that you do well and uh i think I think from our conversations, you have some sort of aspirations towards it is creative writing. Yeah. And I, I wonder if your, uh, your dissertation might be the only one ever to be introduced with a, with a haiku that the writer <laughs> of the project wrote. Um, so I wonder, I wanted to know how those two things hang together, how this, how, what you're studying and this kind of passion for creativity uh, uh, work together. I think that's a really fun question. Um, and it's also something that I myself really want to know more about. Because uh, I think, um, so when I went to UBC, uh, I kind of had the space in my schedule to take kind of creative writing classes. So I just took these two introductory classes in poetry and uh, I think it was fiction writing. Um, and what struck me, especially with the poetry class, which was really, really good, um, was these similarities that kept on coming up between how anthropology was described and how writing poetry was described in mm. terms of paying attention to things and like taking things seriously and, and this idea of like making the abstract concrete. Uh, and I think in anthropology and in academia, like more generally, I think one of the most important things that we can do, um, like, oh, that's my dog. He came back from his walk. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, one of the most important things that we can do as scholars is admit that we're telling stories. Uh, because as soon as we admit that we're telling stories, then we can start to move away from a colonization uh, of mm. thought 
you know, because as soon as we say that we're not telling stories, we're telling fact, we're telling truth, then we start kind of being like, oh, this is, you know, the only truth. And we, we start pushing things to the side. But as soon as we kind of like have this more, I don't know, like humble, if you will, <laughs> perspective of, of being like, this is, you know, the things that I write and the way that I write uh, and kind of what my questions are, those are rooted in who I am as a person, you know, what my culture is, what my childhood was, um, you know, the kind of circles that I hang out in and the kind of uh, like conversations that I have with different people um, and kind of like admitting where that comes from and, and like admitting that as one story makes the space automatically for more stories than just mm. that one to be told. Um, and I think that emphasizing the storytelling elements in something like anthropology and ethnography uh, is a really good way of showing that because it really makes you confront, because um, obviously, I mean, in an academic piece of writing, you're kind of uncomfortable with the idea of uh, starting off with a haiku. <laughs> you know, I was really nervous putting that in there because I was like, automatically, I was like, oh, that's not scientific. That's not objective. You know, that's like wishy-washy, you know, art stuff. Um, but because that was in there, it made it really clear that this was my way of telling about this. Um, and it's really only one way of doing it. And there's space for more. That's great. Have you gotten any feedback on that? I haven't yet. yet. Uh, okay. I think we have to wait like a, a month at least for feedback because now it's the Christmas break right. and everything. <laughs> but I'll um, let you know. I'll yeah, let you know. I'd love to hear what you get back. I, I think it'll be, I think it's really interesting. And I, I, I love that idea of storytelling, you know, as a pastor, I think that one of the things that really resonates with me in that is that the Bible is effectively mostly stories and poems. <laughs> uh, you yeah. know, there's not a whole lot of uh, actual rules. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> there are. But, uh, you know, most of it is even the rules are, are told uh, narratively. And so that, that's really fascinating. I, I'm going to think more about that. And I, I liked, I, you know, I thought it was interesting that you used a haiku, which is a really ordered form of creativity. <laughs> I mean, that's a really specific kind of poem. Uh, yeah, I think that was also, I, I did have a longer poem to begin with. Um, but word counts is another thing you have to think about. Um, and I was like, what's a short poem? A haiku. Um, but it actually, I actually really liked the way that it, that it ended up because it was that kind of like, it's just quick and you can kind of capture one thing and it's never going to be clear. Uh, mm. So you can kind of read into it uh, both before and after kind of reading the main yeah. text. But it, it, it encapsulates the themes of your whole work, uh, joining together this idea of, you know, humming and typing and <laughs> communion crumbs on computer screens or, you know, and yeah. Uh, yeah, this whole thing that you're trying to to talk about and explore and, and maybe come to some, some uh, narrative conclusions about. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so that, that's, that was really cool. I enjoyed that. Um, and, you know, I should say, you know, congratulations on having accomplished this piece of work. I know how hard you worked on it. And uh, it's been kind of fun to be uh, tagging along with you along the way. And, and I'm really thrilled about how it worked out. Um, do you want to, why don't you just tell us really briefly what it is? And then I have some questions about it. 
Cool. Yeah, I'll try my best to give a concise <laughs> summary. <laughs> Uh, so basically, so my question was uh, about how material uh, people and places entangle to produce sacred space on Zoom. Uh, so kind of that question came from uh, this observation, of course, from COVID, uh, like, oh, these, you know, services, worship services are done online. And my first thought was, oh, you can never replicate sacred space online. Uh, but then kind of asking myself, oh, but can you? And why couldn't you do that? Uh, so then kind of by, uh, so kind of the structure of the dissertation is, is I look at first materials, then people in place and space uh, and kind of try to break those elements apart to kind of see how they entangle with each other in all of these complex ways to continue to produce sacred space um, or rather to open sacred space, because one of the main things uh, that I found by talking to uh, members of the Hill congregation was that there was this idea that sacred space, uh, it wasn't something that you made. It was, it was more, oh. <laughs> dog is barking at people at the door. <laughs> hey, good um, to be safe. Yes, <laughs> always. Uh, um, yeah, so, this idea that sacred space is around us all the time because God is present in everything that we do and in everything that we have. But this kind of paradox that you still need particular uh, materials and places and people around you to kind of open that sacred space more uh, uh, to be able to experience it. Um, and that was kind of an interesting uh, thing to look at. I was like, oh, well, why, you know, what materials and why those materials and what people uh, and like, why is community important in um, experiencing sacred space? Um, so yeah, there's that. Um, so basically one of kind of the main conclusions was that sacred space isn't kind of attached to particular materials or to particular people, but it's, or particular places even, but it's the entanglements. Uh, it's like the space into which all of those things meet mm. that sacred space can emerge. That's fascinating. Um, and you, I wanted to ask a little bit about, uh, it, it seemed to me a little unusual, and maybe it's not an anthropology, I don't know, but you, you were able to talk about God in your paper as an, as an active agent, as though like there was no apologetic there. It was just like, God is present and, and doing this thing. Um, and, and I don't recall in reading it that you sort of couched that in any um you didn't kind of try to justify that. And I'm wondering if that, if that will be unusual or if what, what comment do you expect to get back about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, so in anthropology, there's definitely like a way of doing fieldwork where like kind of the main uh, or like one of the most important things is, is to take people seriously when they're talking about their, uh, you know, their worlds and, and not just the way that they are viewing or experiencing the world but the fact that that is that is the real world uh to those people where those people are and um you know by not thinking about god as a social actor in this case i would be like you know i wouldn't really be understanding anything at all because i'd be taking away the most important part in people's experience <laughs> of sacred right. space uh so that'd be you know uh mm -hmm. so even if i wasn't uh and of course there's there's like a difficult overlap here um, which I'm sure I'm going to have to come to terms with uh, when I do field work 
in communities that aren't my communities directly because of mm -hmm. course like I like you know I have a Protestant upbringing and I am a Christian myself uh, so these things of course they match more my worldview and my world reality so there's yeah there's like that kind of overlap there a little bit mm -hmm. um, but certainly you know that's one of the difficulties of anthropology that you kind of have to put yourself aside uh, in order to understand what's going on in a space and and you can't really yeah go in with those applications of being like oh yes you are telling me this but uh you're wrong <laughs> i know better <laughs> um yeah so it's kind of uh there's that cool i appreciate that and i, I mean i wonder i'll be interested to follow your career and see how you navigate <laughs> those waters when you uh are in a space where it's not yours because i think yeah. in some ways you could at least have the the um, plausible deniability or something, you know, like the, the some sort of objectivity uh, implicit if it wasn't your tradition, but it, it was, and you were able to talk about that, you know, kind of freely and openly, um, mm -hmm. which I, th I just found, I guess I haven't read all that many anthropology papers, but uh, <laughs> I found it quite interesting and, and I'll be interested to know what the response is to it. And yeah. I, want, I wanted I think to, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to add really quickly, um, uh, kind of this thing that I was talking about before with uh, storytelling and narrative. Another thing that I think is really important is kind of admitting that anthropologists themselves are not some kind of homogenous Western academic scientific, you know, massive people who are all the same. You know, mm -hmm. it's a very diverse uh, population. And by kind of emphasizing uh, that, you know, like, it's just it's just, it's interesting. I'm curious to see how people, you know, understand each other cross-culturally and, and that, you know, if the scientific kind of Western perspective is, you know, supposed to be quote unquote objective, then what happens when that objective base, that like objective groundwork is from a completely different reality? Um, what would happen in analysis and interpretation and method and um, results and what would be the real world impact of that is just be curious to see. Well, that's really cool. I look forward to reading your first book. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you about, uh, I mean, I, I think I, I understand that you had a different project in mind <laughs> uh, and then COVID yeah. hit and uh, I was really thrilled that you wanted to spend some time studying my little congregation uh, in, the, in the corner of British Columbia. Um, but I, I, I wanted to know what interests you, you about the idea of sacred space and why it's kind of important. And I, you know, as a as a young person, uh, relatively speaking, you know, what's the importance of sacred space to you, and how how that may have changed um, mm -hmm. between you know, or how your perspective is different from those whom you interviewed, some of whom were you know sixty years older than you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, what was what was it about sacred space that's interesting? Good question. Um, I think it kind of, well, you know, there's that kind of randomness of, of how you choose uh, questions and kind of what you become interested in. That's kind of hard to pin down afterwards. Exactly what was it that drew you to that particular question and a particular topic? Um, but in general, I do really, you know, I've always had, or sacred spaces have always been really important to me. Uh, just because of my experiences in like, I've always been very sensitive to the fact that I am Christian in spaces that, 
you're not supposed to have different worldviews. Um, you know, you're not supposed to think that God is actually real. Um, and then, <laughs> you know, even in Christian communities sometimes. Um, and I've, so those spaces where, you know, you can go into a physical place uh, and you can sit there and, you know, you can, you can pray um, visibly, like, you know, you can put your hands in, in different positions. Um, you can talk about faith with people who are there because you know it's kind of like a safe environment where you're not going to be called like stupid or, you know, you're not going to, people are, aren't going to think you're absolutely mad. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well, they might anyways, yeah. <laughs> or, but like mad in the, in the very negative sense of, you know, um, of, of just completely discounting you or like wondering how yeah, or being like, oh, what, you believe in science and God, you know, stupid questions like that, where you're just like, when you share that common narrative with somebody, that's often tied to space for me. Uh, and one of the things with particularly being online that I found challenging, just because it's something that's just stuck in my mind from like high school and stuff, um, was that suddenly I had to be in church in that kind of safe space but I was in my flat and my flatmates were there just outside the door and I remember being really uncomfortable you know the first times I was there before I knew them very well being like oh I sh I don't want to sing you know I want to have headphones on like I don't want them to know what I'm doing and like I found myself kind of being like oh I'm instead of being like oh I'm going to uh, a worship service I'd be like oh I'm gonna do go do field work <laughs> <laughs> because that was somehow more acceptable and like I know that that's uh something that's just stuck in my mind um and oftentimes that's not what people actually think um but in the question of sacred space and online I'm like that physical uh place of sanctity has always been really important to me was there anything that really surprised you in your work anything that surprised me I think just the fact that it worked <laughs> or like, <laughs> or it, it's just, I had this, um, it's just one part in the dissertation where I'm like, uh, I like describe kind of the things that I miss. Uh, and, and it kind of boils down to all of those things that I was just talking about and kind of the, the beauty of being in a place and kind of smelling candles and stuff. Um, and just kind of the surprise of like, uh, the people that I talked with, um, kind of contradicting that uh again and again and being like oh but actually this does you know there is something here and it is authentic and it does work and just kind of trying to figure out why that still was uh, um that it worked was very uh yeah i guess something that <laughs> surprising <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's uh hey what a wonderful surprise <laughs> yeah <laughs> um. and i i wonder i wonder how this season is going to change people's either inclination to find sacred spaces or reimagine the spaces that they occupy all the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think in the same way that it's hard to take a day off when your office is your bedroom uh, mm -hmm. or, you know, your kitchen table or whatever. Uh, I, there's a sort of negativity to that, but I wonder if I, I've, I have hoped over the course of this time that we could help people reimagine their kitchen tables and their office desks 
as as places that could in fact be sacred could in fact be places where uh where god is met um so i'll be i'll be interested to see that what, what do you think do you think um do you have any sense of whether people are going to rush back to their sanctuaries or whether or not uh people are going to become more and more content with this kind of virtual thing i think i think there's always something that is going to be missing in kind of zoom worship when the community was formed in real life because of course there are online churches that people go to that were started online and that have always been online mm -hmm. uh, and obviously that's a different question but i think in the scenarios where you know these online things have started out of necessity and out of need it's also i mean it's also just connected with like a crisis situation and and kind of the experience of um you know some of the things that people missed the absolute most were the things that you just simply could not do on zoom uh like you know you couldn't hug each other you couldn't mm -hmm. physically share uh like break the bread and like drink the wine together from the same cup um and like you couldn't um sing together uh and kind of those were powerful experiences to have in a place uh so i think that's always going to be very important um because one of those, I think it's that kind of disruption that's caused to, because like one of the arguments in the dissertation is this idea that like the entanglements uh, that produce sacred space or open sacred space, they don't disappear, but they're, they're reorganized and they're mm -hmm. reorganized through the screen. Mm -hmm. So they're mediated by Zoom. And I think that mediation, um, it's not always the most effective when or rather, you know, it's it's a lot more effective when you can actually, you know, touch each other and like see each other and be with each other in a different ways, uh, in a different way. Like it does something to um, how you are as a community, um, which I think is really important. But having said that, I do think that people were, you know, people were saying that, you know, this is this is an authentic way of worshiping. And, and there is something that's in this and kind of this idea that we want to keep doing this um that you know obviously we all want to hug each other and be together physically but you know also for people who are far further away or like can't make it in um and just kind of spreading that that uh network that it's also something that people wanted to continue working with um so i definitely think um i think one of the participants used the phrase the genie is out of the bottle which i quite <laughs> liked <Yeah>. um <laughs> so that's you know, I think that's quite representative of, of what's happening here. You, you see the opportunity and what can be done and so much can be done with it. Uh, so that's fun to work with. It's exciting. Yeah, that's great. I, yeah, I've had really mixed feelings about the whole thing. Uh, I think some things have been really great and there's been some silver linings to it and some are still really challenging. And I, I think I, I'm curious to see going forward um, you know, I think Zoom works really well if you're already part of the community. Yes. Uh, you know, you already have some sense of who you're dealing with, of who you're seeing. And granted, it's a very low barrier, risk-free almost way of exploring a new community. But yeah. I haven't figured out how to uh, integrate new people in a real and meaningful kind of way. I mean, we have people attending whom I've never met and may never meet. Um, but also who often generally don't 
turn their videos on and yeah yeah <laughs> you know so i know that they're there and we're connecting and there's something happening for them because they keep showing up mm-hmm. but i think you're right that 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 media that mediation of the screen and that reorganization of the entangled elements uh is going to require some work on our part uh, mm-hmm. as church to make sure that we're re-entangling those things well and authentically and, and in a way that uh, that you know uh, helps people's stories I guess yeah yeah no for sure it's definitely it's uh, it's it's easy to not be challenged to meet new people um, on zoom when you can literally just you know you can be there you can watch um, and you don't have to be kind of in the community you can just leave uh when when things are over um so i think you're absolutely right that like there is something there that's working but because you're not really for you know if you're if you hang around the coffee hour after church you know somebody's going to come up to you and start talking to you uh and kind of force you into that um conversation <laughs> almost which which and like those are the kinds of things that lead to kind of becoming part of the community so that's definitely a challenge you know how do you do that if you can't <laughs> force people to converse with you <laughs> no but like trying to, yeah <laughs> trying to find a way to uh um to kind of push people a little bit out of their comfort zones um because that's kind of when you learn and when things change and when you can make new connections you know you never do that if you're in your comfort zones all the time uh but it's easy to stay there on zoom yeah well that's really interesting and like i said i really enjoyed reading um your, your work and i'll look forward to the whatever's coming next um, Thank you. <laughs> do you do you graduate in the spring yes yeah i'll be graduating um yeah whenever my last exams are may april sometime then that's exciting and uh, yeah do you imagine a, a bit of a break or do you have a, a next plan oh that's a very good question <laughs> i think um yeah i'm not i so one of the things that i that i do want to do uh is i want to learn how to be a better storyteller uh before i continue in anthropology so Mm. i want to learn um creative writing and i want to learn filmmaking um and i want to try to like fit those together so like i can have that knowledge and apply it properly and really understand especially something like filmmaking which um you know, is a whole career in itself. And like understanding the basics of it would be really good if you're making like ethnographic films, which I think are a great way to kind of communicate with people. Um, But yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I'm not really sure where things are going after that. I think I have um, one sort of semi-formed plan (laughs) that's uh, come out of this dissertation is this kind of interest in uh, materials Mm. and the importance of materials and uh, also speaking to my experience at UBC where I took some uh, museum courses um, kind of this question of of, uh, repatriation and working with repatriation uh, because I think that's definitely something that museums uh, should be taking more of an initiative uh, in finding out the history of their objects uh, and doing the brunt of the labor to get those back to the people who might be missing them. Mm. Um, yeah, and I think that's just, it's like, you know, that's both an interest kind of academically of being like, oh, you know, how do different understandings of the past 
shape what this object is to people and the role that this object has in the present. Uh, and also just, it's a really important, um, it's a really important thing uh, to work towards uh, reconciliation. And I'm like, that's something that I think I could contribute to. Um, well, that's beautiful. I hope your work brings you back to UBC. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows where the future lies. <laughs> yeah. be fun. Hey, this has been a lot of fun. I want to thank you for your time. And, uh, and I hope that uh, the next semester is as good as it can be uh, under the circumstances. And uh, like thank I said, you. I'm going to look forward to watching what comes next for you. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, it, was great to, yeah it was great to chat with you for Likewise. sure. Oh, nice. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks for hanging out with us today. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rachel as much as I did. Here's a few things I'm taking away from our time. First, sometimes going with what you're good at is good enough. You're made with purpose, and the things that light you up are a good place to start exploring that. Second, storytelling keeps us from colonizing thought. Let's pay attention to our own stories and to each other's. Third, sacred space is all around, but it's beneficial to have those spaces where it's a little more obvious, where we might be a little more open to what God's up to in and around us. Seek those spaces out. Create them. Fourth, no one is truly objective. Let's not expect each other to be. Let's break the rules and take each other seriously. Thanks again for listening. You can find Foxes and Fowl online, on our website, on Facebook and Instagram, all at foxesandfowl.ca. Thanks to the Foxes and Fowl team, University Hill Congregation, and the Pacific Mountain Region of the United Church of Canada for making all this happen. Thanks to Davis Miller for the soundtrack. Until next time, grace and peace.